Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Playing for children is hugely important in development. Some would say it's the most important thing to encourage in preschoolers, far more so than rote learning of the alphabet or numbers. Play is also crucial to the development of language among preschoolers. Speech and language therapist Christian Wright's with us to talk about it. Good morning, Christian. Good morning, Catherine. Why is play important from a language point of view? Um, Well, for a whole host of reasons. Um, But in actual fact, your intro is perfect. Um, because play, you're right, is the absolute, it's the vehicle for the preschool and um, young school age children um, to develop a whole host of skills. And essentially, through play in the preschool years in particular, it's the beginnings of building successful relationships, developing the ability to problem solve, um, becoming creative. And lastly, they, they are, through their play, are making meaning connections which these are the connections that are necessary to engage with the world and learn about the world around you. When I was preparing for today, I was thinking about play and my own experiences with it, and I just, I don't know what drove me to do this, but I just suddenly thought, well, what does play deprivation look like? Because I'd never thought about it. Actually, play is a really well-researched area. We know that. But play deprivation is also quite well-researched. I didn't realise this. But it goes right back to the 70s and 80s. And in order for us today to talk about how important play is, um, the obvious was, well, what would happen if play wasn't there? And they looked at groups of children, and in particular children who had excessive technology use. They even talked about this in the 80s, um, which I can't imagine that, being a child of the 80s. The games weren't that good on the computer. But Anyway, um, and the lack of space and resources for kids, so kids in um, uh, poverty-type situations or, or uh, inner-city living where there wasn't a lot of uh, green space for, for children to play. Um, and then they also looked at the one that I think is probably quite pertinent for now, not just the digital age, but significant time restraints. So where there was what they termed overscheduling, so the parents basically too busy to afford opportunities for play. It sounds mad, but it can happen. So they looked at all of this, and what they found in their research were astounding. Increased levels of depression, aggression, poor social skills, uh, increased risk of obesity, and then obviously just all of the sensory stimulation that comes through play. These children, their brain activity and development was significantly reduced. Um, Now, these were excessive cases, but it just goes to show again that... um, particularly in the preschool years, and I think something that I have always observed in the kindergarten environment, it's not a babysitting service. Um, Play is learning. It is. Hmm. As someone once said, it's the university of the preschool, for, for, for preschool. And so it's absolutely essential to brain development, um, particularly zero to seven years. And um, the brain is shaped by the child's um, many varied experiences they have in play. Because it, essentially the play and the feedback they get through play 
changes neuronal connections, particularly in the part of the brain that they term the prefrontal cortex, which Nathan's talked about quite a lot in your show in the past. It's, I'm, I'm curious as to, as to how we define play, and really it's the removal of any kind of instruction or constraint, isn't it? It's, it's do what you want. It is. Then they call it free play. That's mm. exactly right. And the highest quality play is free play. It's exactly what you just said, where there are no adult expectations and constraints, and um, in the earlier stages of play development, there are no real rules. Um, it's about exploring and uh, experimenting. Um the impact of it of play on preschoolers' prefrontal cortex is really important because it actually helps to develop something which takes them through the rest of their life in terms of their academic, their life skills, their relational skills, which is executive function. And um, executive function is the brain's ability. It's located in the prefrontal cortex. It's basically the brain's ability to plan, to organise, to control impulses, to focus your attention, to problem solve, it's your working memory, um, it's your flexibility in the way that you think and problem solve. Those skills take years to develop, but they develop most rapidly in that context of play. But as you said at the beginning, play also develops other skills, social skills obviously, so learning to take turns and waiting, um, physical skills, so their fine and gross motor, and of course what we're talking about today, their language skills, so learning to communicate your needs, your wants, negotiating. Um, but as children progress through through play, there are basically um, uh, three primary stages of play in those preschool and early school years. Um, we talked about free play already as being the the overarching best model, but the to begin with, children um, engage in what we call functional play, and it's important for parents to know these three stages because. Many times in my job, I'm actually teaching parents to play with their children because of the benefits to language. But sometimes we accidentally mismatch. So we come at play with our agenda as an adult and how we think play could be fun, and we miss the developmental stage or the readiness the child has. So functional play is the simple, repetitive actions that children enjoy, and it's usually 6 to 18 months, around about that. Um, it's the where the kids are throwing objects, they're opening and closing things, banging things, pushing things across the floor repetitively. Um, so it's pots, pans, those kinds of things, that really simple sort of play, and they term that functional. And in that time, the kind of language that usually is developing is your action words, your naming words, um, your describing words, because parents are giving language to what the child's doing. They move on from there, um, roughly 18 months onwards, to constructive play, the the answer to what constructive play is in the title. You're building stuff. So it's a stage children pass through where it's like they get hands-on to inquire and manipulate the environment around them. And as they're doing this, they are basically working things out. They're finding out what they don't know by playing with things that they do know. So playing in the sandpit, art and craft, um, building towers, train tracks, duplo, play-doh, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's these kinds of activities that are open-ended, in a sense, um, that really support children to develop their imagination and and it leads to the emergence of the next stage in play, which is the make-believe stuff. In the constructive play, the kinds of language that children are developing there is around sequencing or what comes first and then what follows or cause and effect. So um, they're experimenting and their language reflects the experimentation. And then you get to the two-and-a-half to three-year-olds and onwards who have discovered make-believe play, 
and um, it's also called pretend, symbolic, imaginative plays, all the same. Um, these children are using their imagination with the world around them. They're taking actions or objects and imagining them to be something else. So the, oh, the most classic one is usually the boy who picks up the stick and it becomes a gun. Um, I've had friends who had some lovely friends who they tried really hard to have a gender-neutral home and they went out for a walk on the beach and he picked up this big stick and he made it a bazooka. It wasn't even just a gun. It was like mass destruction. And I remember her saying to me, I, I have never, you know, communicated that to him. He must have been three at the time. And, you know, you begin to wonder, is he picking it up from other kids? But um, children, it's just their imagination and what captures their fancy at the time. All right. So when we, again, um, just keep talking us through the, the, the overall benefits of play, but again, um, why it is important also to language as well. Yeah. So um, coming around to language then, you don't teach preschoolers language with flashcards. Just don't do that. Um, if you're doing it right now, um, you may see some small benefit, but um, language is a living um, rich and dynamic entity and when we constrain it to a flashcard or even worse in my opinion you constrain it to a techno technological device um, you limit the brain's opportunity to experience the whole host of sensations that colour in something to make it memorable when children learn language they're not just learning um, for example if we just pick a naming word they're not just learning cup, they're learning how the cup feels, its function, what you put into it. Um, they're learning about the relationship between cup and the pleasure of what they're drinking. They learn about requesting the cup because they understand that cups bring them water that they want to drink. So um, language can't really be uh, distilled down or, or shrunk down to being um, simply... You say this, he, he, um, I'm going to develop your language, so I'm just going to develop some common vocabulary items, and you put them together. It's richer than that. And play offers that context, particularly um, when we get to the level of imaginative play, where they're doing the classic one with the shops, and they've got the, um, the shopping set, the dollies are sitting around, they're having cups of tea, there's purchasing and transactions that are happening, which is always hilarious in preschool. Preschoolers are brilliant with money. If adults never matured, we would all be rich because every time you go to the shops, the shopkeeper would give you the item and then pay you for the item. And it's fascinating watching it. Children don't understand that you give money and receive money back. <laughs> Whenever I play with preschoolers, they give me money and they give me objects at the same time. And I was thinking about this and then I found, interestingly, believe it or not, someone out there did a study looking at money. I don't know. There's so many people in the world and they study so many things. I knew once who did it, it was some person who did a PhD in Star Wars. I mean, it's bizarre. There's, there's just so much study that's done. This one guy looked at money, and he um, realized as part of his research that the reason children were doing this is that from their viewpoint at the counter, what they saw was the parent, there was items on the counter, and often the shopkeeper in the old days would hand money over the counter to the parent. So they saw item and money. So they were giving them change. They were giving them change, mm. but the child hadn't quite hadn't always seen that there was a transaction happening, mm. and that's just so such a perfect picture of the preschool or the early childhood mindset. You know that the world is quantified by what you see and what you mm. experience, and that's what you bring to your interactions. 
It's very important, actually, what you said about all the senses being involved also in, in coming to understand uh, what something is, not just a series of thimbles on a card. Yes. So at various sta- those play those stages of play development are there ways should you be should you really get involved well you should get involved as you said you 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 are helping them learn what the words are action yep. words are um naming words are is there a right way and a wrong way to do that yeah there are i mean what we talked about we would say today are basically five strategies um i actually came up with six in the end but um <laughs> i'll drop one <laughs> but anyway um Yes, there are, and often parents don't always necessarily, in their mind, don't know the difference maybe between functional, constructive, and imaginative, but the point is you don't need to know that because the very first strategy is if you wait, watch, and follow, so that's one strategy. So you wait by um, get down to the child's level, and before you engage and do anything, just wait and watch what the child's doing and what are they doing with the toy and follow their lead. So much language is developed just by following a child's lead. And the reason is because children are become increasingly responsive um, and engage better in, uh, in the relationship with the parent when the parent's following their lead. It's no different to adults. Um, we look at popular psychology around um, the dynamics of establishing rapport quickly and establishing strong rapport between people. We look at things like mirroring. So you mirror the person's body language. You can match um, some of the ways that they phrase things. If you see that they are predisposed to be a visual learner, you might use more visual language. Phrases like, I see what you mean instead of, I hear what you say. So these kinds of things are rapport-building exercises that equally children respond to, but they just respond to it in a physical sense when you're following their game, and the language you're using in following that game are literally the words they're using, the sounds that they're using. And, I mean, my job um, is when a child comes into my clinic, I'm tasked with building rapport as fast as I can so I can get where I want to go. And this is it. This is the big it's have. It's also just not getting in the way of what's interesting them. Yeah. So you're supplementing or enhancing what's interesting them rather than getting in the, getting in ahead of it or, yeah. or or redirecting it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So in practice, how might that work? You, 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 well, here we are, strategy one, um, wait, watch and follow. Mm-hmm. And when you follow, what are you doing? So if the child's got a car on the ground and they're zooming it along, I get a car and I zoom along behind them. If the child's building blocks... I try to join in and add a block. But if some children don't like it, they're quite territorial, so I build a block tower next to them. But I'm equally doing what they're doing. I match the pace, so I don't try to rush ahead and go, oh, done, finished, beat you. You know, that's a, that's not rapport building. Yeah, I go at their pace. It's tempting, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Part of my job is to lose games. <laughs> I consistently lose games with preschoolers to build their yeah. sense of um, accomplishment and that yeah. they are good at something they're better than me at something so i i follow their lead um with my my body and my words and my pace and that usually gets a response they usually become interested and they um will usually allow me more into the game the second strategy is stop asking questions because that's often what we do as parents and the reason we do that is because we want our children to say more or to say their first word so we keep testing them 
um, don't ask them a question. They're not speaking very well yet or they're still developing their communication system. So just comment, just give them words for what they're doing. And you want to um, match that to the level they're at, again, following their lead. If they're at the single word level, you give single words. If they're at the two word level, you give two words. Um, so it's quite simple and it helps the child to, you're staying within the bubble of their experience and their comprehension. The third thing is, which is kind of what we're alluding to here, the modelling of language. Um, uh, so that's kind of, so asking less questions, commenting, and I guess modelling language is the other strategy in there. What's and modelling language? Modelling language is just giving language to the child, sorry. Um, a, a simpler way of saying it, I guess, is commenting. So oh, it's right. the same thing. Um, and then th- um, fourthly, thirdly, um, you want to, when you're working with your child, when you're playing with your child, um, try to repeat what the child is saying and extend it. So on the one hand, you're giving words for what they're doing. You're being David Attenborough and you're narrating. Um, So you're narrating um, their play and then when they do say something, I will often imitate because I'm following their lead and then I just stretch it slightly by adding something else, uh, another word or a new idea. So for example, they're giving me a um, naming word so they go ball and then I add roll ball so it's a an action word with the naming word so I'm just giving them another idea or if they say roll ball I might go oh roll ball fast so and will you do the action absolutely yeah. because at all times um, you are engaging at their level in play you're immersed in it you are being like a child um, and children love it because that's interesting because yeah. back to what we were saying earlier about the importance of play including free play is there a time also just to stay right out of it or um, one foot in one foot out like you're doing the dishes and they're playing and you're sort of interacting from where you are or are you um, an advocate of being quite you know, making the time of being quite involved yeah I mean I'm pretty hands-on but at the same time I being a father of five kids I mean I if I read 10 minutes to each of my yeah, children, yeah. That's there's plenty of time <laughs> for independence. You get what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's a balance there yes. for every parent. And sometimes you just don't have the time. And there's equally, and if people go back through your archives, they'll see we've talked about building language within routines mm-hmm. because that is equally legitimate mm-hmm. because parents are pretty pressured for time. Yeah. So repeat and extend, and mm-hmm. then what's then the enticing. Next so sometimes you'll get some children where they're a bit reluctant to engage and say more, um, particularly if they're experiencing a delay in their development. Um, so I use I sabotage is how I do it, but you do it in a way that's fun. So, for example, I might play a game with the child, particularly well-known games, and then you pause it after you've done it a few times. So. If they're on your knee and you're doing the Grand Old Duke of York, for example, you've done it a few times. The child knows the bit where he goes up the hill and down the hill, blah, blah, blah. Then you do the bit where you drop your knee so that they fall and they love that bit. So that's kind of the high point of the game. So what you're going to do is you're going to pause just before that moment to entice them to want to make a sound, a gesture, a word to come to, to move towards you with communicative intent, to move towards you so that you can reward that, model it back. Um, other ones that I use would be offering choice. So particularly with my children who have one or are putting two words, so single word users or putting two words together or more, if I want to develop more, choice is a great way because choice isn't, you're not asking them to speak. 
you're legitimately giving them a choice. And if you want this to progress any further, you kind of have to open your mouth and say something. So do you want the green apple or do you want the yellow banana, for example, if you're working on colour? Um, or if it's just a single word, do you want the apple or the banana? And um, often kids who are reluctant to communicate will point or grab, and then you're just giving them the word, waiting for a second to let them process that, then giving them the object. Don't hold the object back because that turns from teaching to teasing and that's irritating and then your child will become um, reluctant to engage with you because they think your choice is a, is a, is a tease. So you're just, you're just leaving enough of a pause to give them the opportunity. Yep, that's okay. exactly right. Anywhere between three and five seconds, which feels like an eternity for a child that you're always used to reading their signs and just giving them what they want. But you're trying to create a gap or a pause that, is in a sense non-verbally saying to the child I expect you to take a turn and you even have a look on your face like I'm expecting you to take a turn raise your eyebrows look like you're expecting it a look um, of expectation a look of and expectation and it's also giving them time because it's just like you know, you know what it's like trying to learn a few words even of a second yeah. language when it's not your first language it takes time to search through the archive and find what you're looking for Absolutely. so you're, you're just allowing time for what you want to happen to happen yeah that's exactly right those various stages of play, how do they affect the kind of interaction that you have? So we went through functional and constructive. Once mm -hmm. we're into make-believe, is that the same as imaginative or does yes. that come after? No, it's right. the same. So once we're into that stage, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they will be inventing their own meanings. Yep. And, and it's a little bit harder just to wait, watch, follow. It but, is. But should you be yeah. in there as well? Yep. So um, if children are at the stage of imaginative play and they're constructing their own games... Um, they usually, um, one of the things that comes with imaginative play is the development of narratives. So children start to narrate their play. And so often the earlier version of it is that they basically recreate known scenes, putting baby to bed, feeding the baby, those kinds of things. That's the earlier stage of imaginative play. But as they become more sophisticated, they move on to creating novel scenes. And those are exciting because you don't know where the play is going. And that play can become absolutely hilarious if you're following their lead because as a parent you begin to see elements of your life and how you are as a parent being mapped out in their play and sometimes that's hilarious so they'll do like a telling off and you can hear yourself in the telling off um so you're being mocked basically basically you're being mocked <laughs> yeah. um it's funny you're talking about nathan I, I remember one of the points he made this is nathan wallace listeners one of the points he made about not mucking with kids early play is if they come up with their own explanation for the way the milky way is or what the sky yep. is don't go and give them the encyclopedia britannica exact right answers they'll they'll have this wonderful creative idea for it and, and let that run is it true with words are there times where they will come up well i mean kids often invent their own languages don't they yeah they do and or, or if they're getting words wrong how much yep. do you bother about that or do you let the flow of the conversation happen and let it pass for now? It's a good question. It leads us actually to the last strategy, which is fix it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you say it back and you try to fix it up. But there are times when words are close. I remember my 16-year-old daughter, when she was about three, we were driving somewhere in the evening and it was foggy. Well, we were around by the airport, actually, Wellington Airport, and it was quite foggy and misty. And as we were driving along, she said to my wife and I at the time, that looks explorey. What a great word. Isn't that a great word? Yeah, exploring. <laughs> no one's got a mess with that word. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, nah, I didn't bother fixing that one. but Because um, it's a cool word. Yes. But, but yes, there are times when children use the wrong word or their um, speech sounds are just incorrect. So I never advocate repeating the word back the way the child said it, which is completely incorrect. Like, 
if they're saying tat for cat, I don't go, it is a cute little tat. It's just say it back the way the child needs to hear it because we do want them to move on. Sometimes the child's development is moving on to the point that there are just the odd words that are just cute. You're not generally concerned. I've had some families who have fostered particular words. Um, my own, um, One of my boys' um, breakfast was Beckritz, and he was five, and my wife did not want me to fix that because it was just a cute hangover of yeah, his preschool yeah, years. Yeah. But generally speaking, the advice would be fix it up. I think Explorey can stay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Christian Wright. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.